Hey there listeners, I had a wonderful interview with a lady called Nicole Baldino and Nicole is the co-founder and COO of an organisation called Webinar Ninja. Now that's a SaaS company founded in 2014 and she's also the co-founder also of the $100 MBA. She's also produced an iTunes Best of 2014 podcast, which is the $100 MBA show, and is ranked as the top business podcast in over 30 countries, so really quite cool. But recently, she started a new podcast and a brand new conversation each week, and it's called the Nicole and Kate Can Relate podcast, quite a cool one. And I know Kate, and so Nicole and I have a mutual friend there, a mutual acquaintance, so it's pretty cool. But she's left a decade of career and education behind to pursue something else which is more creative. And what she did is she actually studied a little bit about film and how that works around freelance videography. And then she went into full-time entrepreneurship in 2013. But together with her husband, they've committed to helping entrepreneurs, aspiring or current, to build and grow their businesses. She's passionate about building and managing remote teams that are diverse, inclusive and dedicated to creating an exceptional product experience for customers. Now, the thing that Nicole and I talked about in this actual conversation, this interview, was about the fact about micromanaging and that she also has a fully distributed team and it was working like that before COVID, before people started working from home. And we talked about the fact, well, she actually talked about the fact of not apologizing for setting expectations, making things very clear for people they understand what is expected of them. Interesting comment that she made also is that about times have changed, but humans haven't, or humans don't. And so she talked about that as well. And then, of course, the thing that she said, which was really quite cool, was around your experiences shape who you are. And you and I have experiences that we have had in the past and we're going to have in the future. And those things will actually shape us to be the leader, to be the person in the future. Something else she talked about was having your finger on the pulse and understanding what's going on around you, which is very important. The one thing, and this is the title of the episode, leadership accountability and transparency is not going away. And so leaders, you need to wake up and make sure that you are being accountable, holding others accountable, but also being transparent at the same time. But you know what? It was a fabulous conversation. And so what I'm going to do is encourage you to sit back and enjoy the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us today. And I have a wonderful guest with me. Her name is Nicole Baldino. And Nicole, a massive welcome to you. Hey, Dennis. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Now, listeners may pick up the accent already, but uh, whereabouts are you in the world today? I'm not too far from you. I'm in Sydney, Australia. Mm. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And your surname, Italian? It is. It's Italian, yes. 
And okay. the U ending is a little bit, throws people off, but it's typically from Sardinia. I don't know if you know the island of Sardinia, gorgeous part of yeah. Italy. That is where surnames come from with, with a U ending. Interesting, because my dad's from an island below Corfu, so between Italy and Greece. Um, okay. A little island called Castos, and it's untouched, seven kilometers long. But we have quite a lot of the Italians coming over to sort of sort of spend some time over there, which is pretty good. So it's very close. We're close here, Australia, New Zealand. I know. But also close from our backgrounds and our heritage as well. I love it. Hey, um, so I've given the listeners a little bit of a background into who you are, but we'd like to know a little bit more about you. So you're the co-founder and so COO of Webinar Ninja, is that right? Correct. Yeah, which is a SaaS company. And you founded that in 2014. Correct, yes. Yeah, and then the $100 MBA. Tell us a little bit more about both those sort of organizations or things that you've been doing. Sure. So the $100 MBA was launched in December of 2013. It was a online course to teach people the fundamentals of business for $100. So not $100,000 like what a typical MBA education would cost. We made it accessible for $100 to teach the fundamentals of business to get started, to most likely to start an online business or to transition out of a career and start a, and launch that side hustle or that you know business idea that somebody had. You know, what you just actually just said there, I think that a lot of our listeners may be today thinking about, hey, I'm actually quite tired of the corporate world or any other, doesn't matter what size of business they're in today. If they're thinking about transitioning out to go and do something else, is it easy? to do a transition into something else and what would be one or two things you might want to suggest them to think about as they start thinking for themselves around that transition? Great question. So I transitioned out of a teaching career and my co-founder who I started the $100 MBA with and, and Webinar Ninja is my husband who is also a teacher, Omar Zenholm, and we both transitioned out of, of decade-long careers to go full-time into entrepreneurship. So I'm very familiar with what that you know transition period feels like. And for me personally, I had no business experience. And the first thing that I did to get out of teaching was to give myself a taste of something else that could be a possibility. Mm. I've been a big fan of doing short courses. And so I did a two-day film course while I was living in Dubai at the time. That's where I ended my teaching career officially because teaching has taken me all over the world. And I did a two-day film course just to see if it was something that, you know, I could explore further. And just that little taster gave me of an idea to then go on to a four-week filmmaking course. And that was kind of how I found myself in entrepreneurship. So a bit of a strange way to get there. But I guess the first thing, there's two things actually I would say, and I'll sum it up really quickly, is I had to decide that I really wanted to leave teaching mm. and make, and that decision phase can take years and it did take me years. But when I finally decided, I took action and I just did a taster to give me, you know, a sense of like, what could that next thing look like? Yeah, that's great that you share that taster piece as well in the whole journey, because I think a lot of people feel like they would need to, to rip the bandaid off and go and do the whole thing. And I go like, hang on a sec, don't go cold turkey. If you're not sure about things, try and do that side hustle or whatever, whatever you want to go and do, start doing it while you've actually got some income coming in. And then you can look at to transition very nicely into whatever you want to do. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Now, I understand right now that you're having a blast co-hosting a brand new kind of podcast with you and is it Kate? Kate Erickson. Yes. The other half of Entrepreneurs on Fire. Kate Erickson? Yes. No way. Oh, that's awesome. So Kate's been on my show as a guest 
And so when I was sort of thinking about it, so JLD, Johnny Dumas, and I had sessions with him, and then he put me on to another guy called Travis Chappell. Oh, Travis, if, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and Kate, oh, awesome. Awesome, Lee. That's really good. I'm so lucky to have her as a co-host. Yeah, I've been on the, you know, the production side of the $100. So the $100 MBA, even though it started out as a course, is now much more well-known for the podcast, the $100 MBA show podcast, which won Best of iTunes, now Apple Podcasts. And, you know, it's 2,000 episodes later, you know, top business podcast. I was always on the production side of things, behind the scenes. So the podcast that I started with Kate, funny enough, during COVID, which I think a lot of podcasts came (laughs) during that time, was really something that was a passion project and just a way for her and I to spend each week together because now we're living on different sides of the world. We used to be neighbors in San Diego. So this was a way for us to do a project together, collaborate. And yeah, we saw a podcast was born out of that, out of that collaboration. Oh, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Very, really good. Hey, we're going to go and talk about leadership and, and that side of things. And we're going to talk it through the lens of, of, from a leader's perspective and so forth. And, you know, everyone's had different sort of levels of experience around leadership and it, and it sort of varies on, on the guests that I've had before, which has been brilliant because we've had people from different backgrounds, which is nice. For yourself, how, how did you get into leadership? I'd say out of necessity hmm. because in teaching, I never had a leadership role. I was yeah. a member of staff and in my department. And so... You know, when I transitioned out and I did some, you know, freelance videography before, you know, the the, the idea of the hundred dollar MBA came about and we started that business, again, I was just managing myself. You know, that was my experience as a freelancer. And when we started our businesses together, the hundred dollar MBA and Webinar Ninja, you know, originally it was just me and Omar and we were wearing all the hats and, you know, so at that stage, again, like I was just trying to pick up the skills that I needed to give as much value and to support the vision and to support the business goals. And it was only when we started hiring teammates that then you start to become aware of the fact that you have to manage, manage people. And by managing people, you have to start to lead. And so originally it was more leaning towards the customer service side of the business, you know, and so that's kind of where I found myself now managing the first person and the second person. Uh, And then once our, one of our teammates became the team lead and the manager of the customer support team, I was then managing her. And so I kind of, it really like, yeah, sum it up three words out of necessity, just through, you know, building our businesses. And when you, when you did that and and you're starting to build a team around you, what was one or two big lessons for you? Oh, I'd say I had to find that delicate balance of not micromanaging, <laughs> but also verifying and ensuring that, you know, tasks and the work got done. I think it's a big challenge for a lot of people. And I should also mention what's kind of important to note is that our team has been fully remote, completely distributed team since day one. So you know, before the world went work from home and all of that. And again, that was out of necessity. We didn't see the future or anything like that. But I'd love to say that that was the case. It was purely organically that we grew our team that way. And so with that challenge came, you know, verifying that tasks got done and people, and, and, you know, things, you know, happened without being so on top of people that they would get frustrated. And so I definitely learned those, you know, the frustrations perhaps of the team of team members. But at the same time, I had to also not apologize for setting expectations and being being clear about what I wanted and, and the level of work and 
and the quality of work that I wanted and, and having, you know, people meet those expectations, but also seeing things from their perspective if, you know, timelines couldn't be met or, you know, things needed revision and adjustment. Yeah. So in other words, we've got to have some standards and we've got to set those expectations and standards, which is good. The other thing I was going to ask you was with the remote side of things, because yeah, we sure we've been in the last three years with pandemics and so forth. People are working more remotely and so forth. So there's this big struggle happening right now, whereby organizations are trying to bring people back in, lure them back into the office. And it's hard. They're finding it hard to bring them back in. Two, people finding it hard to go into the office again and go back through that transition, going from home to the office and back home again. For you, who's had many years of experience, when we did go into lockdowns and people were working from home more, did you see a shift in your own organization around that space or was it just more business as usual? I have to say that I, it was business as usual because mm. we were, we had set up our company to work remotely and, you know, no, nothing, I'd say one of the things that I find quite interesting that now that you ask this question, we, our support team started to work in a virtual office. So they opened up a Google Meet room and they basically created their their, their virtual office and spent more time. And actually, since they they uh, started to do that, they haven't they haven't stopped. Which I think is quite interesting because while our team members were always you know working from home and you know we had our setup, we had our meetings, and all of that never changed during this period. I do feel because of lockdowns, because of the isolation that people felt, the lack of connection, you know, the loss of connection they got with their families, with their friends, perhaps maybe that's another reason why, it, you know, this virtual office came about and they found more connection with their colleagues during this time. Yeah, interesting. Uh, that's the first cool... time I've thought of it. So <laughs> yeah. interesting. But also, you know, they haven't gone back to sort of the way they were before. They've continued on with it, which yeah. is really interesting to hear. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Now, the other, the other thing I wanted to ask you here was who's, you know, this person could be alive or from history. Some people go, oh, I've got so many, you know, it's all cool. It's just who's been that favorite leader and why? I, like you said, exactly. There'll be a lot of people and there's hard, there's, there's undeniable leaders out there like Oprah Winfrey, who are, you know, there's no denying their, their, you know, their true greatness as they're not infallible, but they're definitely great leaders. So there are people like that, obviously that stand out to me and, you know, leaders of companies like Spanx, Sarah Blakely, also pretty, you know, impressive. There's that success and that longevity, which means that clearly they've been efficient and and, and great leaders. I'm going to say someone who I'm fascinated with at the moment because, and I'm going to bring it a little bit closer to home. I'm going to say Anthony Albanese, who is mm. Australia's prime minister, our new prime minister. I'm not, I have never been super into politics. I, you know, I've spent years away from Australia traveling. And as I mentioned, you know, teaching took me overseas. So kind of always been a little bit disconnected with, you know, current politics and all of that. So I'll just say that I'm fascinated with him because I, once he was elected, I kind of, you start to hear his story, his backstory, and I became fascinated with his level of humility, his authenticity, it seemed, you know, as a politician, which I think is really hard. And one of the things is, I suppose, learning about his backstory, you know, being, you know, coming from Living, growing up in housing, which is government subsidized housing, a single mom, all of those things. I find, I found it really interesting that he didn't deny that past. And I've kind of found it interesting that 
those experiences, because I think those experiences from a young age, when you do grow up in, you know, more difficult circumstances and all of that do shape who you are as a, you know, as an adult. And I kind of feel like that you you get a glimpse of that as a, as a person. So I'm not going to say he's my favorite person of all time, but I am very interested and I am very optimistic about his leadership of our country, which is very important. Yeah, 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 good. And we actually had a prime minister like that two prime ministers ago, a guy called Sir John Key, and uh-huh. he came from a single, you know, solo mother, you know, and so and housing like that and all that sort of stuff too. And his background was very much like that too. Very successful in business, done very well. And when he became prime minister, at, at the beginning, he was like, I don't need the salary. And mm. donated, it, I think, some of it to to charities and things like that. And just carried on doing what he needed to do. But it's really interesting. So if you were to sit down with your prime minister in Australia, to sit down and have a coffee on a park bench, I'm sure there'll be security around everywhere. But what would be one question you might want to ask him? I suppose, well, there'd be a lot of questions. I feel like he's, you know people that he's selected to be a part of his team. It's very interesting. I think how he's able to not shy away from those aspects of his past that, you know, I think people would judge him for conventionally. How is, how is he okay to just share that very openly and vulnerably and kind of, you know, put that aside and just get the job done? Because I think a lot of the times, you know, leaders might feel that they have to, that there are certain expectations, of course, from their, you know, people that, that, that they're responsible for, but, um, you know, how are you just yourself and, and, and you, you're able to just put that aside and not, and, and not, and just get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I, that's great. We'd love to be there to listen to the answer. It'd be really cool. Nicole, the title of the show here is called Leadership is Changing. And when I mentioned that title, that statement, what does it mean for you? I think that there is so much visibility now and public opinion about the way companies operate and the decisions that leaders make that I don't think I experienced when I was, you know, in high school, university, preparing to enter, you know, the workforce. If you look at like, you know, well-known example now is what's going on with Elon Musk and Twitter. How and and I think that there's just so many examples of that where emails are leaked and decisions are, are shared publicly and everybody gets to, you know, say their two cents. I think that we're in a really interesting time with, you know, how much visibility and how much the public feels that they can comment and, you know, feels that they can, wants to, is interested in, in commenting on how companies operate and the decisions that are made. Mm. Mm. And then I wonder, you know, how much do leaders actually listen to that? Mm-hmm. How much does it actually influence their decisions or the way that they're going? Or do they just say, I listen to it, but I'm now going to go and do what we want to go and do? It's about being tuned in to hearing about what the market might want as well. And I'm sure for business leaders as well, really interesting to hear what the market wants and doesn't want. And rather than having a product or a service that may not meet the market, yeah. And, and you'll know this from the course building side of things. How many people do we know that have gone and built something and then no one wanted to buy it because it wasn't what the market needed? And I think Absolutely. Be very clear. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting, eh? How that all sort of works out and where it's going. And it'll be interesting to where, see where it goes. And I've got another question for you later on around that. 
But you know what? We're, we're living in a world that I think is getting faster all the time. Technology is driving that. Mm-hmm. I mean, even look at us. You know, we, we're sitting on the different parts of two different countries, and we were actually recording this, and technology is enabling us to do this. With life becoming even faster, whether it be data, business, technology, social, whatever it is, how is a leader today going to be successful in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? What's your thoughts on that? I think you still have to have empathy. I think the qualities, I think human times change, but humans don't, right? Something like that. And so I think responding to, I think because of the, because of technology, issues are spread a lot quicker, a lot faster. You know, when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, people didn't really talk about mental health. And so, you know, with now social media and, and all of that, people's voices are being heard. There's more opportunity to share people's stories and, and experiences. And so, you know, as a leader, you have to keep up with those issues as they arise because they're coming out a lot faster than than they would have, you know, say 20, 30 years ago. And so, you know, I think just that constant awareness of where people are at. I think the, one of the reasons now, just going back to the, why did I choose Anthony Albanese too, is like, you mentioned it, you said like listening to what the market wants, listening to what, having your finger on the pulse as to mm. understanding like what do people want? I think like with the case of Anthony, I, I suppose, you know, the you know, selecting more women and, and having more diverse people in his cabinet is a response to understanding what people want and what people, the, 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 the discussions, the conversations that people are having. And so as things move so quickly, you know, as a leader, you're expected to keep up with those those issues as they arise and know, well, what's kind of the general sentiment here? What is the vibe? What are people feeling? And, and, and you know, where does that put me in terms of the decisions I make for the business and, and for my team, for, for people? Yeah, I think it's a great example of that you just shared because it's about representing the Australian public. And so if you don't have a cabinet or people within your caucus who are not representing the actual public, then what are you doing? I mean, you, you're on a different planet. And I think, so I think it's really important that they do do that for sure and understand what's going on and sort of help things along a bit. How about, what about, so a lot of those leaders today, I mean, I don't know what you do in Australia around how long you actually invoke them in for. Is it three years, four years? How long is it the government? I mean, every country is different, right? So here is like three years, and I'm not sure what your country is. But you're, then you're, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah, yeah actually, it's all good. So the question is then is, how do we actually hold them accountable as leaders? How do we get them to sort of step up? And it's not just politicians, it's anybody mm-hmm. in life. Yeah. And I've seen, you've seen it and I've seen it as well. We actually see entrepreneurs or we see business owners or leaders of other organizations. I think there's a time, there's this tipping point whereby they start to become complacent. They start to become too comfortable mm-hmm. and, and they're not actually bringing their A game to the table. How do we make sure that they are, we hold them accountable to doing that or how do we actually help them become and stay in the A game and, and keep delivering? What's your thoughts on that? Mm, I love that question. I think an example comes to mind. I think about the company Basecamp and the founders of Basecamp, Jason Fried and David Hanemeyer Hansen. When you were talking about, you know, favorite leaders, I, I, I was thinking about people that I've loved and respected and looked up to. And then, you know, something has happened and they've fallen from grace. And there was an incident, I don't know if you know, recently with Basecamp, something got leaked. The, we can link up to it. There's a, there was an article in The Guardian that kind of outlined what had happened, where internally the sales team was collecting names that they thought were funny, 
And it ended up being, you know, a situation where culturally it's really inappropriate, racism, all of that came out and the, and the founders were challenged and the way they handled, you know, came to light, came to be, again, like we just said, you know, emails get leaked. There was blog posts that were written about it. And so in that whole situation where they, they did have a fall from grace and their, as leaders, their accountability to their, their team was you know, and, and culturally a lot of things came into question, you know, the public chimes in, right? Mm. And the public has an opinion and journalists have an opinion and there are these pieces that are written. And so to your question, like how can we hold people accountable? These, these situations are going to come out where these decisions and the way, you know, companies operate and all of this gets called, you know, gets called out. I, I think that while we can have opinions I think it's really important that we have discussions and we remove contempt and disdain and, you know, the whole cancel culture, all of that as much as we can to allow for, you know, some very productive conversations so that people can address if they've made mistakes, people can, you know, be receptive to ways to improve. Like it was unacceptable if you, you know, if if everything that happened as, as it ha- as it was you know reported was true, sure I can say that's absolutely horrible. I can't believe it. You know you can't do that. I would never allow for that to happen in an organization. But you have to have the opportunity for people to have that discussion in a productive way, and not just shut people down and 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 you know cancel people and not entertain because I think you know that contempt can corrode just positive conversations. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it does. And I think the other thing too would be based on what you're sharing there. I think we've, we've lost that ability to have some robust debate or discussion, mm. not to say you're right, I'm wrong, or to say you're right, no, you're, you're wrong and I'm right and so forth. It's not about that. It's more about the fact that we can have a discussion without feeling like we're going to be rubbished or mm. uh, that, that our opinion is not good enough or things like that, but we need to have these discussions because that's how we've, we've built life over, the, over time. Yeah, of course, we're talking about that. Some, some things that are being done by certain people or some people is just stupid. Yeah. But the thing is, we've all done some stupid things in our past, but that's how we've learned as well, right? And so we need to learn from it. But yeah, it's really actually an interesting kind of topic, right? I mean, yeah, we could dive into this for, for hours talking about this kind of stuff, but yeah, it's, it's quite big. Nicole, you and I have been talking about leaders and from a leadership perspective. We were to change lens now and talk about it from an employee's perspective. How, and you and I may have worked, we've we've worked in other organizations as as employees before, but also we know people who are employees, but also we've got employees in our organizations and our teams, doesn't matter what size it is. The question I've got here is, how how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? I think and it is true that having those two perspectives really does help because I default a lot of the time when I'm making decisions or I'm managing my team of putting myself in their shoes. And it's because I had the experience for so many years of just being, you know, part yeah. of a team. I, I think that one of the things that I, I see a lot is that people do want fulfillment and, and meaning. You know, they do want their job to, to have, you know, to give them a sense of purpose and, and, and happiness. And so I, I think as a leader, you have to, you know, 
look out for the well-being. It sounds like, oh yes, of course you do, but you you really do, you know, whether it's, you know, the the one-on-ones that you schedule with your team, whether it's happiness surveys, all of those things to so just constantly see where people are at, to have those conversations because the other side of things that that the employees have now is a lot of choice. And you know the kind that can kind of go two ways because there's a bit of a paradox with choice. The more choice you have, the less satisfied you are with your choices, which is kind of yeah one of those life paradoxes, right? But understanding that from an employee's perspective is that they want to feel like they made the best choice in working for your company, and so it really is your job to remind them and to make you know your workplace be that place that they show up every day and it's like, this place is cool. I'm, I'm happy to work for this, for this company. You know, I'm proud to say, you know, who do you work for? I'm happy to talk about that. That's your job, you know, because they're seeing their world from their perspective of like what they do, you know, their, their paycheck, all of those things. But it's your job to make your, your company a place that they feel like they're proud to talk talk about. So I think that that's constantly also being approachable. I do think that, you know, there's a bit of a movement too with these smaller, efficient, tiny teams, especially in the in in the tech world. And and by being a small, a smaller team, you know, that distance between the leader and 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 the teammates is 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 shorter, right? And so they want their leaders to be approachable. Yep. And I like the way that you talked about as well about how they are proud and they talk about it as well. I mean I I I think about it now for you and I in this this part of the world at the moment because we we're in summer and that and of course barbecues and all that happening. It's when you listen to people talk about their organisation, their leadership of that at barbecues with their friends and families. That's when you start to hear the true side of things as well, and it's really quite interesting to listen to it and sit back and hear about what's actually going on, but also what may be not going on or what things there might be some certain gaps. And yeah, really quite cool. And you think, oh, I could go in there and do some work with that organisation. Which is interesting. Now, we talked a little bit about the future before. So I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out now and start thinking about the future here. Where do you see leadership being in five years? Well, this transparency and this visibility and accountability is not going away. So I think it's really important to to recognize that, you know, the decisions you make, the statements you put out, the things that you say, you know, they live forever now. They really do. And so that's one side of things. But the other side I feel is that I don't think the fundamentals of, of you know, people, the fundamentals of, you know, being of humans are, are too different. Like we always want to be inspired. We're always looking for inspiration. We're looking to be cared for no matter what. I think that care factor is, is, is huge. And, you know, I took that in from, I'm taking that a lot from, from teaching. I always go back to that, that students don't care how much you know, they care how much you care. And so I think that care factor is, is important and that, you know, it's not going anywhere. That respect and that dignity, all of that is is something that, you know, leaders have to, you know, keep in mind, you know, going into, into the future. I think the global recession and, and, you know, post-pandemic, all of that has had an impact. Like you, we were talking about, you know, people you know, leader, you know, organizations wanting people to come back in, in into the office when maybe they've gotten accustomed to a new way of working and that flexibility. I think it's that constant balancing of as the world is changing, as people, you know, are getting used to different ways of working, it's 
balancing the needs of of your team and and your people with you know the demands of your business and and your customers. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if it's any different to you know the way it was a few years ago, but I I, I do think it, it's not getting easier. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No. So Nicole, this has been fascinating talking to you today. Thanks for sharing everything you've been sharing and joining me on the episode. Now, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Well, if they're interested in, you know, more awesome podcasts, if they're, you know, growing a business, the $100 MBA show podcast has daily business lessons. Don't know if any of your listeners run webinars. We have a, you know, a webinar offering at webinarninja.com. And yeah, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn and on Instagram as Nicole Baldino, just my name spelled out. And happy to hear how, you know, uh, how this episode went for people, what their, what their takeaways were. Awesome. Once again, hey, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Dennis. There you go, listeners. Leadership transparency and accountability is not going away. So what are you going to do? What can you do with that to make sure that you are being transparent and also holding yourself and your team and your peers accountable? Hey, thanks for joining us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.